Well, it's been a while since I've been here, about six, seven weeks. So I'm always excited to be able to bring God's word. And God's word is like seed, like our sister said. And God wants to impart some seed into your life tonight, and hopefully it will bring fruit. That's what the word's supposed to do, bring fruit into our life. Well, we're going to continue through the book of uh, Romans tonight. I'm going to be looking at chapter uh, 4. If you've got there, your Bible, you can turn to that. Uh, as we journey through Romans, I look at it as really the gospel of grace. It's the gospel of grace. That's what it's all about. And the Apostle Paul wrote it, and in Romans chapter 1, he said this, and we should have it up there. For I am not ashamed of his good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who what? Who believes. The Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. By faith, as the scripture says. It is through faith that a righteous person has life. Romans states, as it opens up in chapter 1, that all of humanity is trapped in sin. All of humanity. And God being a just God and being a righteous God has to condemn mankind because of their sins. But the good news is, is that humanity can be saved. And it's by faith. It's by your faith, it's by my faith. That complete trust that we put in Jesus Christ. No one is saved by obeying the law. And when Paul uses that word when he says the law, he's not talking about our whole Bible. He's talking about the first five books of Moses, the Torah. And that you can't be saved by obeying the law. Today, you could say that you can't be saved by obeying the word of God. And Paul will speak more to that about the obedience to the, to the word. And you can't be saved by doing good deeds or by fulfilling some man-made religious requirements. What's the purpose of the law? Paul is going to deal with that. He's going to mention it over and over again. What is the purpose of the law? Romans chapter 3 verse 20 tells us exactly what the purpose of the law is for. And I remember when I read that and I went, now I know what it was all about. The law is intended to show you and I that we're sinners. That we're sinners. When you look at it, you go, I can't do that. That's too hard for me. I just can't do it. It shows us that we're all sinners, but that, we, that the law can't rescue you. It can't rescue you being trapped in the sin that you're trapped in and the sin that I'm trapped in. But God has rescued us. How has he rescued us? By sending Jesus. We sing songs. We worship Jesus. We worship him because he came to die for you and I, to give his life for us, that you and I might be right in God's eyes. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're talk about righteousness, justification. Odell spoke last week a little bit about it, and I'm going to continue it and kind of finish it up, and Paul will mention it from time to time as we go through here. We're going to look at the life of Abraham just a little, little bit, and what we're talking about is that great doctrinal truth that's called justification, being justified in God's eyes, being acquitted, being made right. That doctrine of justification, it's an amazing thing that what Paul's going to say tonight that, you know, 
he was writing to this New Testament church. And what he was saying to them, look at this justification, this righteousness of God, it's not a new thing for today. He goes, matter of fact, it was back in the Old Testament, all the way back in Genesis chapter 15 with Abraham. Well, let's stand as we honor God's word, and we'll pray, and then we'll begin to open up God's word. We stand to honor God's word because it's worthy of it. Jesus is the living word. So as we look at the word, we're looking at Jesus and who he is and what he's like. Verse 1 says, Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the scripture tells us Abraham believed God. He believed him. And God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Let's pray. Thank you so much for your word, Lord, and how it is a lamp unto our feet. It lights our path. Your word teaches us, it guides us, it corrects us, it trains us in righteousness. Speak to your church tonight, Lord. As I speak, I say one thing, but I know you, Holy Spirit, sometimes kind of get in there and say something to my brothers and sisters' hearts that I'm not even saying. Do that tonight. Thank you so much, Lord, that we are right in your eyes because of Jesus. Amen. Why don't you all sit down? Paul uses Abraham because he was the most respected man in the whole Jewish nation. It would be like George Washington, right? You guys all know George Washington. He's the father of our nation. Abraham was that to the Jewish people. And he was a true example of justification by faith. And I'm going to interchange justification and righteousness back and forth. But he truly is a great example of justification by faith. Romans 3, 27 and 28 says this. Can we boast then that we have done anything, done anything to be accepted by God? No. Because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on what? Faith. Based on faith. You're going to hear that over and over again tonight. So we are made right with God through faith and not by what? Obeying the law. By not obeying the law. The Jewish belief was this. They believed that salvation was obtained by works. By works of obeying the law. It made them right with God. Matter of fact, the rabbis at that time when, when Paul was writing this, they, they believed, and this is unbelievable how they even came up with this, but as I did my research, I found that they came up with some of these teachings from these apocryphal teachings that were out there, these apocryphal books, books that aren't in our Bible today because they were untruthful. But the rabbis believed, and this is pretty amazing, that uh, Abraham obeyed the law even though the law wasn't even given yet. They say, what do you mean by that? Abraham lived 430 years before the law of Moses even came. And what these rabbis believed is that he instinctively obeyed it, even though he didn't even know it, that it was just there. We talked a little bit about, remember a while back ago when I did the teaching in chapter 2, about how the law is written upon a heart. 
They said he instinctively, he just kind of just obeyed it all. And they believed that he obeyed every bit of it. And they believed that Abraham's faithfulness earned him righteousness. It was his faithfulness to God, not his faith. See, Habakkuk 2.4 says that what? That the just live by faith. It all has to do with faith. It all has to do with grace is what it is. They also believed, which is an amazing thing, is that Abraham was righteous his entire life, that he never sinned. That he never sinned. And matter of fact, that they even believed that, that he began to follow the Lord, God, when he was three years old. Paul must have had that in the back of his mind. I remember as I read this, and even as I taught it about 20 years ago, I said, why, why would he even address these kind of things? It's because he knew in the back of his mind that they believed these kind of things. And what Paul wanted to do with this writing to the Romans and also to the book of Galatians is to dispel these false truths. How do you come against things that aren't true? You give the scriptures. You give the scriptures. That's why if you notice when we were reading in these verses right here, he went all the way back to Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, where it says that Abraham believed the Lord and that's how it became righteous. So Paul wanted to spell these things that weren't truthful. Abraham grew up in the era of the Chaldeans. I think we got a map up here. should be there. You can see it down on the very bottom, up above the Persian Gulf up there. And that area where the era of the Chaldeans were, that, that's uh, modern-day Iraq. Not Iran, but Iraq. And Abraham... Uh, lived up there. It was a thriving community. And it's interesting that in Genesis chapter 14, we're not going to look at it tonight, but at the very end of that chapter, God begins to kind of nudge Abraham's father to go to Canaan. And when you see those arrows that are up there, his father, Terah, left Ur of the Chaldeans, and he went up into Haran up there, and that's where he died. And you're saying, well, what's the point? What are you talking about? Well, the point that I want you to see here, and as I was studying it, as I've seen in my own life, is that the hand of God is in our life before we even realize it. We just don't know, guys. He's always, and you hear me over and over again saying this, he's always working behind the scenes. You know, I've told you the story before. You know, I grew up in a heathen family. My parents didn't know God, didn't care about God, didn't want to know God. And I saw the hand of God work in my parents' life by causing them to send me to a Christian school. That's where I really gave my life to the Lord when I was in third grade. I still have my little Bible with Jesus and the little children coming to him. I, I was going to try and find it and bring it up here. I'm so proud of it. But what I'm trying to say here is that God nudged Abraham's father, Terah. He nudged him. The Spirit of God did that. And I believe that's what the Spirit of God did to my mom and dad. They nudged him to send me to that Christian school when I was a kid. After I got elementary school, they sent me to heathen school. I just went to junior high and high school like everybody else did. But God is, is working there. So it started with his father. And then we see that God spoke directly to Abraham. 
75 years old, Genesis chapter 2. God speaks to Abraham. He's all the way up in Haran now because his father had died, and that's where he's at. God wants to get Abraham to Canaan. A lot of people believe that Canaan is heaven. It's not heaven. It's, it's not even, it's, it really isn't because they had trouble down in Canaan. When we get to heaven, guys, no trouble, no more bills, no more pain, no more sorrow, nothing. It's going to be beautiful. But what Canaan is, it's a type of having a very blessed relationship with the Lord. And God wants us all there, doesn't he? He wants us all there. And he wanted Abraham, his servant, to head on down to the land of Canaan. And he finally did get there. He wants you and I to be in that land of Canaan. 75 years old, he told me, he says, leave that home of Haran, because he'd already, that's where he was at. Leave your family, leave everything that you have. I know everything is going great here, but it's time to change. I'm moving you on. And God sometimes does that in your life and in my life. He moves us on from sometimes something good that we think is great. But sometimes God has something that's even better for us. Do you believe that? I hope you do. It's hard when God does that in our life, when he takes us from something that seems so great, and all of a sudden he wants to head us in a different direction. It takes great faith to pick up and just take off and go, to let go of the ring. And just to go and follow the leading of the Spirit of God. Listen, God wants to lead each and every one of us that are Christians by his Spirit. He wants to nudge you in places and areas and do things in your life maybe that you've never done before. Well, how do you do that? You've got to learn to distinguish the voice of the Lord. It's that inner speaking that he speaks to us. Maybe you just get a thought. You begin to act on it. Now, I'm going to tell you something. You know, I'm an old guy that's been following the Lord a long time. It gets easier to discern and understand the leading of the Lord the more you just begin to, by faith, just take and make a step. Does that make sense? But you've got to start taking the steps, and then all of a sudden, you just start picking up on it a little bit more than you did before. I didn't really want to say that's not even my notes, but maybe you need to hear that. So we see Abraham's obedience was evidence of his faith. Evidence of his faith. Hebrews 11 says this, it was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave his home, that's what we're talking about in Genesis 12, and go to another land that God would give him as an inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. And when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by what? By faith. For he was like a foreigner living in tents, and so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. And then a few verses down from that, verse 17 of chapter 11, it says this, and it was by faith, by faith, that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promise, was ready to sacrifice his only son. Listen, this is a typology of God the Father offering his son for you and I. Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned, such great faith this man had, reasoned that if Isaac died as he sacrificed him, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. 
did his, did, his, did his works of the law or the deeds bring acceptance? No. That's not what did it. Listen, if good deeds, if human effort made Abraham right, what Paul says, he could boast. He could boast. It would prove that man has the ability to get right with God. Man has the ability to get right with God by doing deeds. In other words, what I'm saying, that you could earn getting right with God. Justification. God's way isn't about deeds or doing the works of the law. It's about God's grace. It's about his kindness. And it is about God's love. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this. Paul wrote these words too. God saved you by his what? By his grace. When you believed, and you can't take credit for it, it is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. See, religion is man reaching up, trying to get right with whatever God it is that they're serving, trying to get right with that God through human effort, through works, through maybe different requirements that that religion expects of that person. The Jews believed. Listen, guys, they believed it. And there's people today that believe that good deeds can and will make you right with God. They don't. Good deeds don't do that. Paul's trying to say through Ephesians and even through what he's saying here, it's by grace through your faith that that happens. Let's go on, verse four through five. When people work for their wages, excuse me, when people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people are accounted as righteous, not because of their works, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. He gives an illustration of, of working for a paycheck. How many of you work for a paycheck? A lot of people. I was very fortunate. I was my own boss for almost my whole, you know, working adult life. But I remember the first job I got, and I, you know, I don't want you guys to laugh, but I was probably about 12 or 13 years old. I used to get on my little three-speed bicycle. It was, you know, it's a pretty crappy bike, but it got me where I needed to go. And I had to go about five or six miles down to this plumbing company. And a buddy of mine got me this job cleaning up his two or three uh, plumbing trucks he had. And back in those days, guys were like, you know, they'd, they'd have big threading machines and there'd be oil and grime and junk. It was disgusting, the work that I had to do. The fun part, I hated cleaning all of that out, but then the fun part was when I'd have to load up all the different little bins and stuff and I'd have to put the elbows in and the T's and all that. I'd have to make my little list and get it. I felt like I accomplished something. But I remember getting my first check. And I got my first pay stub. I mean, I don't know if you guys remember that, but I was so proud that I had earned that. I earned it. You see what I'm saying? That's what Paul's trying to say here. Your wage is something that you earn. I did get a gift from him, and Paul's trying to say, look, it's not a gift that you're getting. You earn it. I did get a gift from him every Sunday. You know what he did? He bought us all lunch. And I was a happy man that I got a free lunch. The point is, is that you can't earn righteousness. You can't earn salvation by doing things, by human effort. You just can't do it. If works could make us right with God, how big of a work would we need to do? 
How many things would we need to do? You ever really thought about that? What kind of thing would we need to do to get right with God? People always say, I'm a good person. I do all of these kind of things. God, I got to be right with God because of this. Well, we're learning out here that really, you can't earn it. But God did require one thing. One act of righteousness. And we're going to learn that in uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 18. One act of righteousness. And you know what it was? Jesus. Jesus going to the cross. He was the only one who was righteous. He was the only one that lived all of the law. He was perfect. So he could offer himself up. He could be that one act of righteousness that God required. You see, you can't do that. I can't do that. There's nothing good enough in us to do it, to earn it from him. And that's what Paul's trying to drive home, is you cannot and you never, ever, ever will earn it. Paul states that, isn't it a good thing that God forgives sinners? Well, how does he receive, how, does, how do we for, get forgiveness? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 said that. It's the gift of grace that Christ paid for us. It's placing our faith in him. It's, it's not a reward for the works that we've done so that we can't boast in it. Faith and works do work together. They really do. They go hand in hand. Our deeds, those things that work out of our life, prove that we have faith in God. Say, what do you mean, Randy? This is what I mean. James chapter 2, verse 21 and through 24. I'll let him say what he has to say. And it's interesting that James wrote this about 49 AD, and that Paul wrote this, the gospel of grace, Romans, in 57 AD, and that he wrote Galatians, which is kind of a mini book of grace, book of Romans. And he wrote that all the way back in about 49 or 50 AD. This is what he says. Think of Abraham, our ancestor. Wasn't it his action which really justified him in God's sight when his faith led him to offer his son Isaac on the altar? Can't you see that his faith and his action were, so to speak, what? Partners. They were partners. That his faith was implemented by his deed. In other words, it was put into action. It was realized that he was going to offer his son to the Lord. Then he goes on, he says this. That is what the scripture means when it says, and Abraham believed God, that's Genesis 15, and it was reckoned unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. And a man is justified, there's that word, before God by what he does as well as by what he believes. In verse 5 that we just read here, it says, but people are counted as righteous, not because of their works, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. There's no contradiction here. They're trying to show that our, that our faith in the things that we do, they prove that we have faith in God. This is your table talk, all right? I want you to... Think of if you've ever, I think I'll have it up there. Uh, do you think you have ever tried to earn God's favor by doing something you think he wants you to do? Give an example. Do you think, okay, think about that. Just share a little bit about that. Have you ever found yourself trying to earn favor with God? That's something you did. All right, take about five minutes. All right, you good? Good.
Let me say this. If you're trying to earn God's favor, don't do it. Because you're not going to earn God's favor. You're not going to earn God's grace. It's free. It's free. It truly is. You know, you read in your Bible, you go into church on Sunday, and especially if you go to church on Wednesday. And if you're giving your finance to help support the ministry or whatever it might be, look, you don't get brownie points. Some of you don't even know what that means. You don't get ribbons for doing those kind of things. You really don't. It doesn't doesn't make God want to give more of his grace to you. He just gives it to you. Do you get that? He just gives it to us. So if you find yourself doing that, maybe you sinned really bad this week. And I know some of you did. You know, so you've got to try and earn more of God's favor. Gosh, I just got to get the word more. I'll read it every day this week. Don't do that. It, it, It doesn't do you any good. Well, I shouldn't say it doesn't do you any good. It's good to hear the word, but. This is what you need to be doing, what Matthew 6, says. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. People that seek the kingdom of God first are usually doing all those other things. Well, let's go on, 6 and 8. David understood righteousness, and now he uses David. David also spoke of this when he described that happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put under, out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. David describes this happiness of receiving the righteousness of God. And David was a big old sinner, man. He was a man after God's heart, but he was an adulterer. He was a man that even had Bathsheba's husband put out there, and he got murdered because of what he did. So he understood the righteousness of God. He, he understood that even though he did that, and he's referring to Psalm 32 there that David wrote, that he, David understood that I'm still right with God because I've confessed my sin and I've received that righteousness that he imparts to me, that he gives to me. In other words, he understood that his disobedience was forgiven, that his sins were put out of sight. They were cast into the sea of forgiveness that his evil record had been cleared. That's, that's like a court system. Pastor, you remember that court system. That his record was expunged. Is yours expunged? Probably not. Huh? It was expunged. It was erased. You see, God won't take into account our wickedness or our wrongdoing. It's all under the blood of Jesus. Praise God. And it brings great joy. It should bless us supremely is what he's trying to say there. It affects our whole being and our emotion. It gives us a a sense of well-being. It gives me that. You know, I, I don't cry like Pastor does. But when I start thinking about what he's done for me and how he's expunged all of that, it does affect me. It gives me that sense of well-being that I have. Listen, your sins and my sins are washed away, guys. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, they are washed away. And the Father looks at you with eyes of love and eyes of grace. Even if you're sinning, he sees you with those eyes of love and those eyes of grace. And he knows you're going to sin. 
I know you're going to sin. I know I'm going to sin till the day I go home to be with Jesus. I'm going to miss the mark. But I want you to rest in his forgiveness and rest in his love and rest in his grace. Don't beat yourself up. Don't beat yourself up maybe for the life that you've lived all of these years. God loves you. God loves you so much you don't even understand how much God loves you. We really don't. Let's go on, verse 9. Now is this blessing only for the Jews or is it also for the uncircumcised Gentiles? Well, we have been saying that Abraham was counted as righteous by God because of his faith. But how did this happen? Was he counted as righteous only after he was circumcised or was it before he was circumcised? Clearly, God accepted Abraham before he was circumcised. Talking about circumcision, very important to the Jewish people, very, very important. And what he's trying to say, it was a sign of his faith. It wasn't that circumcision that saved him. It signified that he already had faith in God. God had already accepted him. God had already imparted justification to him before he was circumcised. Circumcision did not save him. Rituals don't save people. God saves people. Some of you might have been baptized when you were an infant. Some of you might have been confirmed when you were, you know, older on in your age. And listen, religions believe that saves you. It doesn't. It doesn't save you just like circumcision doesn't save you. The Jews believed that it was very, very important for you to get circumcised or you could not be saved. You see, righteousness is a result of faith plus something else. It's just righteousness. That's it. It's because of what God has done for you. It's not righteousness and knocking on doors and telling people about Jesus that saves a person. It's God's gift of grace that he's given to us that makes us right with him when we receive it by faith. Verse, uh, and, it's, and it's an interesting thing. I, I don't want to leave this point, but that ritual of circumcision that he's talking about, listen, Abraham didn't have that until 14 years later after God had already told him, you're right, Abraham. I've made you right because you believe what I've told you. And you're beginning to walk that out in your life. 14 years later. He goes on to say this, and then we're heading down the end of the road here, guys. We'll be there quickly. Circumcision was a sign that Abraham had already had faith and that God had already accepted him and declared him to be righteous. Even before he was circumcised, so Abraham is a spiritual father of those who have faith but have not been circumcised. They are counted as righteous because of their faith. And Abraham is also the spiritual father of those who have been circumcised, but only if they have the same kind of faith, the same kind of faith that Abraham had before he was circumcised. It's a sign. That's all that it was, a sign of his faith. Look at when all of a sudden the baptism comes out here and people come up and the pastors baptize them. That doesn't save them. 
All that that is saying is, I believe in the Lord and I've been crucified with Christ. I'm going down with Christ in the water and I'm coming up with life, just like, like Jesus had when he came up out of the grave. It's a sign. That's all that it is. But the Jews firmly believed that it was necessary for them to do that. Acts chapter 15. Listen to what it records here. We've got a few more verses and we're done. Acts 15, 1. It says, while Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers. And here it is. Unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you can't be saved. Righteousness plus circumcision equals righteousness. And a few verses later, Acts chapter 15, verse 5, it says this. Some other guys come along. But then some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and insisted. That's a strong word. Pretty much saying this is the way it has to be. The Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. So they not only said that you had to be circumcised. Now they're saying these Gentile believers who received Christ as their Lord and Savior, happy in Jesus, it says, now what they're saying to you is you're going to have to take on that ritual and also you're going to have to begin following the laws of Moses. My son had a really close friend of his. He wasn't Jewish. He was a Christian guy who gave his life to Christ. He was a Gentile. And all of a sudden, you know what he did? He started subjecting himself to the laws of Moses, and he went around trying to put the law on other people. And there's people that do those kind of things. And I remember telling my son, I said, son, has he ever read the book of Romans? I go, because if he reads the book of Romans, he's not going to act that way, because that's exactly what Paul's coming against. They wanted to put that onto the Gentile converts. In verse 6, which I don't have up there, it's very interesting what happened. All of this is going on in the church. And in verse 6, it said the apostles and the elders came together. In other words, Paul, Barnabas, all of them, they all got together and they all discussed this whole thing. And I can guarantee that Paul's sitting there and saying they don't need to do anything except ask Jesus in their heart. And it said that they resolved the issue, and they did. They resolved it. They didn't put the law of Moses on them. They didn't say that they had to go through that kind of a ritual. Basically, what they said is, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be saved. And that's all that it takes. Galatians 5, 6 says this. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. And look what it says here. What is important is what? Faith. It's all about faith, guys. Expressing itself in love. And then 1 Corinthians 7, 19 says this. For it makes no difference, Paul says, whether or not a man has been circumcised. The important thing is to keep the commandments of God. Amen? Amen. It's simple. It is simple. Don't subject yourself to doing things to try and gain God's favor. It's not going to work. You know, it's kind of like when you were a kid and maybe, you know, when your dad was watching, you were really raking the leaves really, really fast and maybe washing the car and doing all that to gain favor from your dad. You know, if you grew up in some kind of performance family, it was great. You'd get something for that. 
And I think sometimes as human beings, we think that's what we have to do to get favor from God. We don't. We don't. Let's pray. I thank you so much, Father, that you are a God that just requires us believing in you. You just want us to love you like you love us, Lord. Thank you so much, God, that you've imputed righteousness to us, that you have made us justified because we placed our faith in you and in you alone. Not in some person, not in some kind of institution, but in you, Lord God. Thank you that we've been made right with you, Lord. Help us as your followers, Jesus, to seek your kingdom first, to do those things that please you. I'm not saying we aren't supposed to do those things. I'm not saying we're not supposed to listen to the word of God and to obey the word of God. Jesus, you said your followers will show that you, they truly love you because they will obey the things that you say. We want to do that, Lord, but I know we mess up from time to time. I mess up. I, I'm a sinner, Lord, saved by grace. I thank you so much for that. Help us to rest in that righteousness and that forgiveness that you've given to us. Thank you so much, God, for your love. Help us to go into this world and let people know that they can be right with God by just believing on him. It's in your name that we pray. And they all said, amen.